This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Welcome to the Collector Car Podcast. Uh, for this week, I am going to cover some fun facts about Steve McQueen. Now, I'm pretty excited about this because honestly, I don't know a lot about Steve McQueen. I mean, I know he's the king of cool and all sorts of stuff, but it really wasn't my generation. And the reason I'm bringing it up now is because RM Sotheby's has a one of his cars coming up for auction in Monterey in a few weeks. And it's a beautiful 1967 Ferrari 275 GTB 4KM car. Absolutely stunning. And I thought, you know what? It would be fun to kind of dig into Steve McQueen a little bit. Now, before we get started, a couple things. First off, I heard from one of you about last week's episode, the uh, automotive trifecta and why there were not any uh, American cars represented. Well, I wanted to keep it the three cars and uh, I kind of... You know what? American cars didn't even pop on the radar. And I asked him, which car would it be? And he said it would be the Shelby Daytona. Now, those are incredible, incredible cars. They only made six of them, which is probably why it was not on my radar. Um, I could make the argument that I didn't want race cars, even though you can drive them on the street. But GTOs are race cars that you could drive on the street. I guess if I had to pick American, maybe it would be a super rare Duesenberg, possibly. Maybe the S um, SSJ, one of those two cars. But again, super, super rare. So uh, great note for sure. So the other thing I wanted to mention is this is a family-friendly podcast. So I'm not going to go into the sex, drugs, rock and roll debauchery of Steve McQueen. He actually kind of sounded like a jerk, <laughs> kind of like a crybaby when it came to having hissy fits and tantrums on movie sets. I don't know that I would have gotten along with him in real life if I knew him, but very interesting guy, had a really rough upbringing, which we'll go into here in a second. I am going to do approximately 10 facts about him and then also cover around 10 of his cool cars, uh, including the Skagulati, I'm sorry, the uh, the 275 GTB uh, that you see on the screen right now. All right, so let's get started here. Um, interesting stuff when it comes to Steve McQueen and that usually if his name is attached to anything, it goes way up in price. So I'm going to pull up some pictures here. Uh, the, the first one I wanted to mention, this is just some bullet points for reference as far as why I find him an interesting person. His 1968 Husqvarna Viking 360. Now this was sold by RM Sotheby's, uh, let's see, last year, the year before, yeah, 2021 in Monterey. Estimate was eighty to hundred thousand dollars. It sold for two hundred and four thousand dollars. Very very expensive. And then I also wanted to pull out some other cool stuff. Now this is a number of years ago, two thousand eighteen. Uh, RM Sotheby's sold Steve McQueen's Beverly Hills Hotel Suite Key. Now that one, the estimate was fifteen hundred dollars about, and it sold for fifteen hundred dollars for a key and a keychain. Uh, let's see, his racing suit and helmet worn by Steve McQueen in the Lama. Uh, movie as uh, sold for $336,000. Oh my gosh. Can you even believe that? All right. His 1951 Chevrolet Styline Deluxe. This is a yellow car sold for $88,000. That doesn't seem like a ton of money, but this was back in 2015, I think. Uh, and it was previously owned by the Pawn Stars from that TV show. So I would imagine if that came up for sale today, it would be even higher. 
Now, one thing that's interesting is people have talked about the McQueen effect subsiding as that generation uh, gets older and passes away and that is transitioning to Paul Walker. I can't argue with that, but it doesn't seem to have impacted prices as of yet. Another car, which I'll go into a little bit more in depth here in a little bit, is his 1970 Porsche 911 S. Uh, let's see, estimate was 950 to $1.3 million. It sold for almost $1.4 million for a 1970 Porsche, Porsche 911 S. And then the last one I'll bring up before we start going into, or two more before we start going into his background. Uh, engraved locks, Steve McQueen engraved locks. Uh, estimate was $600 to $800. These are just two locks with a combination on them. Sold for almost $13,000. And then the last one I'll mention, which we will go into more in depth shortly, is the Bullet Mustang from the iconic movie. Uh, you know, as a regular uh, 1968 390 GT fastback in that condition, probably a $40,000 car. And yet it brought almost $4 million. So big time Steve McQueen effect. If you go back to when this car was about to sell, I did do a whole deep dive into the Steve McQueen factor, even did some of the math, and I projected what I thought this car would sell for. Uh, it actually didn't sell as much as I thought it would. I, I think I said around 4.5 million and it sold for 3.8, so whoopsie daisy. All right, we'll go into that here in a minute. Okay, some facts about Steve McQueen. If you're watching on YouTube, I'm just gonna scroll through some royalty-free pictures I found online of Steve McQueen while I go over some of these fun facts. Uh, all right, let's see here. Now, this is from Maxim Magazine a number of years ago. His mother was a prostitute and his father a circus stuntman who regularly beat him during McQueen's childhood in Los Angeles. He joined a gang and was sent to reform school for stealing hubcaps. That is a horrible childhood. While on leave during a trouble... Trouble three-year stint, trouble three-year stint in the Marine Corps as a tank driver. McQueen saved a teenage girl from being raped by pulling a gun on her attackers. He later said he could have shot them all. He also saved his tank crew from drowning during a botched Arctic exercise. After being discharged from the Marines, McQueen spent time in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and Washington D.C., and worked as a getaway driver for bank robbers foreshadowing his hit 1972 film, The Getaway. The gig ended abruptly when one of the robbers was shot and nearly killed. After that, McQueen became a pimp for a hooker named Lindy and sold illegal handguns. I thought I was making easy money, guns and Lindy, and no taxes to pay, he once recalled, but it never ends well. He wised up and went to work, went to New York to study acting. He actually seems like a pretty smart dude. Let's see. He was supposed to have dinner with Roman Polanski at Sharon Tate's house on the night they and Sebring were murdered by Charles Manson and his gang in 1969, but canceled at the last minute. He later learned he had been dangerously high on Manson's death list. Wow. McQueen's first real movie role in The Blob earned him just $3,000, but by the mid-1970s, he was the highest paid actor in Hollywood, commanding $5 million per picture plus 15% of the gross, more than Marlon Brando, Robert Redford, and Clint Eastwood. Pretty interesting. McQueen turned down roles in now classic movies that would have, been vastly, would have vastly improved his cinematic legacy, including Apocalypse Now, Dirty Harry, Breakfast at Tiffany's, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, The French Connection, and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I never cared for that movie, actually. 
Professionally, he was a nightmare to work with, what I referenced before, throwing fits over everything from the cut of his jeans to other actors' lines. When his downstairs neighbor, James Gardner, angered him by starring in the racing movie Grand Prix, <laughs> this is funny, McQueen peed out his window onto Gardner's balcony every night. That sounds like quite the prince. He's never actually, he never actually wore the Rolex model that is now known around the world as the Steve McQueen Explorer, but did own a Rolex Submariner. He was so stingy, he would charge pro producers of his film $250 for the watch if he wore it on set. I don't know. That sounds pretty smart. While married to Ally McGraw, he would disappear for nights at a time on his motorcycle to hang out with the local chapter of the Hells Angels. Fueled by cases of old Milwaukee and piles of oak cocaine, McGraw later said he was somewhat stoned every day of our relationship. What a prince. McQueen was arrested for drunk driving in Alaska in 1972, posted bail, and then skipped town. The owner of an eye-popping garage filled with Ferraris, Lotuses, Jaguars, and Porsches, he racked up so many speeding tickets that he nearly lost his license several times. All right, let's see. The last one, he was, born, he was a born-again Christian when he died of cancer in 1980 at age 50. In the last years of his life, McQueen's then-wife, Barbara Minty, took him to Bible studies with the Reverend Billy Graham. Wow. Interesting. So those are the facts, uh, some fun facts, <laughs> scary facts about Steve McQueen. Now I'm going to review some cool cars. Now this is from topspeed.com. Uh, we'll start with the car I mentioned before, which is on armsuthebeast.com for the Monterey sale. Like I said, this incredibly gorgeous 1967 Ferrari 275 GTB4. Now, typically these would be, you know, somewhere two and a half million dollars, three million dollars. The estimate on this one is five to seven million dollars. So you're looking at doubling of the price uh, based on that. Uh, let's see, restored McQueen specifications from 2010 to 2013 by Ferrari Classic K under the ownership of championship racing driver Vern Chupon. Now, being restored by Ferrari Classic K is a huge deal, which is incredibly expensive. So that has some very nice, incredible provenance to go with it. Desirable late production example built with long nose body configuration, four cam valve actuation, drive stump lubrication, and torque tube setup. Uh, like I said, it is gorgeous. It's red, black interior, absolutely stunning car. Now, I didn't show it earlier, but when you see me on my future podcast, if you're watching on YouTube, look over my right shoulder and you will see I do have the bullet Mustang license tag on my wall right above my fish tank. All right, the next car we'll talk about is, let's see here. Oh, let's see. That's not the one. All right, it's this car, the 19, uh, let's see, 1963 Ferrari 250 GT Berlinetta Lusso. So Lusso, that's definitely one of my favorite Ferraris of all time. Absolutely stunning, absolutely gorgeous. Let's see, uh, it has a three liter Colombo V12, 250 horsepower, top speed of 150 miles an hour. Let's see, so his wife at the time, Nellie Adams bought it bought one for him as a gift. If you're watching on YouTube, I am showing his actual car here. It's like a dark metallic brown with tan interior, really stunning. Leslie Deluso was McQueen's daily driver for about four years until he sold it to a fellow car enthusiast in early 1970s. In the 2000s, the car underwent a meticulous 4,000 hour restoration. And because of the McQueen pedigree, sold at a Christie's auction for more than $2.3 million, which was double 
what the Ferrari was expected to bring. So that was way back, I think in 2013 or so is when it sold. All right, the next car is the other one we've had from RM Sotheby's, the 1970 Porsche 911 S I mentioned earlier, sold for one point, almost $1.4 million. The opening scene of the Le Mans movie shows Steve McQueen pulling up in a slate gray 1970 Porsche 911 S. The 2.2 liter engine produced 123 horsepower, wow, and 130 pound-feet of torque. That sounds so anemic. It could hit 0 to 62 in 10 seconds and had a top speed of 124 miles an hour. For the time, this was a quick little ride, and it was used on the movie set as a camera car to capture the racing action at Le Mans. After the movie wrapped up shooting, McQueen had the car shipped to his Los Angeles home, but he didn't end up keeping it for very long. He already had a similar 1969 Porsche, and the 1970s seemed redundant. It would only go through three more owners who kept beautiful care of it before it hit the auction block and sold for almost $1.4 million. Okay, the next one surprised me a little bit. I found a picture on Facebook. 1957 Chevrolet Bel Air Convertible. I think there's only one picture on, yeah, there's only one picture on the Facebook. A 1957 Chevy Bel Air is an undeniably cool car, but because it was once owned by Steve McQueen, it actually a pretty hot ride as well. The Matador Red fuel-injected ragtop was built in California plant just for McQueen. At some point, he sold it, and many years later, the car ended up in a Barrett-Jackson auction. Now, here's where the journey gets weird. McQueen's 57 was bought by Ken, Kent Perkins, who is Ruth Buzzy's husband. Yes, the same Ruth Buzzy from Laughing and the Carol Burnett Show. Perkins had lent the Chevy to the Peterson Automotive Museum in Los Angeles as a part of their McQueen car display, but eventually took it home to enjoy it himself. So what's interesting on, the fa on their Facebook page is actually Ruth Buzzy's Facebook page. Now, I just wonder, is she still around? I'm guessing she is. I mean, I'm looking at her Facebook page, or is it her daughter? Anyways, interesting. I would like to uh, reach out and know more because the last posting was in 2018. All right, the next one is his 1904 Winton Flyer replica. Now, this one was sold by R.M. Sotheby's way back in 2013 for $70,000, the actual car. All right, legendary car customizer Von Dutch built a replica 1904 Winston Flyer replica from the ground up for the 1969 Steve McQueen film, The Revere's. In the movie, McQueen's character is obsessed with and frequently steals the Winton Flyer. In real life, McQueen was obsessed with the car and bought it after the filming wrapped up. That's an interesting car to be obsessed with, honestly. The replica was actually powered by a 65 horsepower Austin Healey Sprite engine because apparently... 1904 Winton power plants are a little hard to come by, though not the fastest thing in McQueen's garage. It held he held on to the Winton Flyer replica until his death in 1980. Ah, interesting there. All right, this next one I do have two pictures because I just find it fascinating. It's his Baja boot, which is kind of like a dune buggy. All right, let's see. McQueenOnline.com recalls the time in 1968 when Steve McQueen entered the 7-Eleven Stardust race, which is a grueling 320-mile trek across the harsh Nevada desert. He showed up with a monster custom off-roader he called the Baja Boot. McQueen was riding, was doing well in the race until the axle snapped. 
and the rear wheels came off. As for the specs of the beast, nobody can tell it better than how McQueen explained it to the media at the time. He said, I've lined me up a sweet machine for this one called the Baja Boot. Chevy powered, 450 horses under the bonnet, space frame construction, four wheel drive, independent suspension, and smooth. I can notch close to 100 over a sand wash and you better believe that's moving. So that's from Steve McQueen himself. What I find really interesting is a, a big time car guy, Glickenhaus from Glickenhaus Racing. He's known to buying new Ferraris and rebodying and rebodying them and getting sued by Ferrari. He has a modern version of this Baja boot and it is awesome. It's wicked looking. I'm pulling up a picture here right now. Uh, he's going into production. I don't know how many he's going to make, but they're street legal. They're really crazy looking. Um, I saw the red one at the quail, I think it was two years ago, but super, super cool. It would be a ton of fun to have and just absolutely insane and crazy. If only I had the money to do that kind of crazy stuff, who knows what I would come up with. All right, the next one is a Shelby Cobra 289. Now, I don't think I have his picture pulled up here, but um, I have a picture, a period picture of him leaning against a Cobra with Carroll Shelby in period, which is really cool. Carroll Shelby lent one of his legendary Cobra 289 Roadsters to McQueen in hopes that the actor would eventually buy the car. Okay, so that's the picture. The naturally aspirated 289 V8 produced 271 horsepower and 312 pound-feet of torque, making it one of, if not the fastest cars on the street. After weeks with no sale, the Cobra was taken back, spruced up, and sold. The journey of the car gets a little sketchy as it changed many hands and got pretty beat up in the process. Supercar Nostalgia reports that in 1980, the Cobra's chassis was so damaged that the new owner replaced it, but cut the original VIN out of the frame and put it on the new one. Then the old chassis was sold, so it's possible there are two Steve McQueen Cobras out there. Now, if you know this answer, please let me know. I'm trying to figure it out myself. This states that this 289 Cobra had 271 horsepower. And that's the Hypo K-Code block that is found in my Mustang Fastback I just bought, which is also 271 horsepower. Now, there were many changes to the K-Code engine for the GT350s, where it pumped out 306 horsepower. So since the Cobra's 271, my Mustang's 271, they're both the Hypo engine, were there any changes made from the Mustang to the Cobra? You would think no, but I would love to know the official answer. All right, two more cars here, two more incredibly iconic cars here. The next one is his 1956 Jaguar XKSS. And I'm pulling up, uh, it's currently at the Peterson Automotive Museum. So the pictures I'm showing online are from their website. There's no mystery to the whereabouts of Steve McQueen's 1956 Jaguar XKSS, as it currently resides in the Peterson Automotive Museum. The story goes the car belonged to TV game show host Bill Layden, and McQueen was at the lot when he caught a glimpse of the Jag and fell in love. He bought the car from Leyden for $5,000, which is a steal of the century, since there were only 16 ever produced. McQueen loved winding out the Jaguar's 3.4 liter inline six, so much so that he racked up a number of speeding tickets and almost had his license revoked. McQueen sold the XKSS to a collector in the 1970s, probably for a lot more than three Gs, or five Gs, but couldn't shake his affection for the car and bought it back. 
It remained a part of his collection until his untiming passing, untimely passing. Now, what's cool about this car is just absolutely stunning and gorgeous. I think the nickname was the Green Rat, and Jay Leno had it on his YouTube channel not that long ago, within the last two years. And he talked about seeing this car uh, being driven like crazy uh, in the neighborhoods around him by McQueen. And then he was able to take it out for a spin. Now, what are these worth? You know, the original XKSSs, I think the last time one traded hands, it was around $13, $14 million. That was a number of years ago. I have to believe this is a $30, $40 million Jaguar at this point. It's just so iconic and rare. Okay, the last one we're going to talk about is the iconic 1968 Ford Mustang, Bullet Mustang. Uh, this one's going to be fun. All right, Steve McQueen never actually owned the Ford Mustang GT390 from Bullet, but there's no other car more associated with the actor than the Highland Green Fastback. The chase in that movie between the McQueen Helm GT and the evil 1968 Charger RT is one of the best ever captured on film. Unlike a lot of other movies where McQueen ended up taking home his car co-star, he let this one slip away. According to Car and Driver, a guy named Bob Kernan bought the car in 1974 from a classified ad and used it as a daily driver, as movie cars weren't a big deal back then. McQueen made several attempts to purchase the car from Kiernan, but he wouldn't let go of the Stang. McQueen reportedly bought a similar car just to have one. The Bullet GT390 stopped running and disappeared for decades, re-emerging in 2018. It turned out that Kiernan was right to hang onto the Mustang because it eventually sold at a Mecham auction for almost $3.8 million. All right, so let me, I pulled up, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, the wrong side, the, uh, there's the bullet license tag right there above my fish tank. Pretty iconic. It's the one that was on the bullet Mustang car, not the actual, but a reproduction. I just thought it was so cool. So this GT 390 fastback is in rough shape. I mean, it's a lot rougher than my Mustang is that I just bought. Uh, you know, like I said earlier, probably a $40,000 car, even though it's a big block, um, just because it is so rough, but you don't want to touch it because then it wouldn't be original again. Um, I did try to find this car back in like 2015, 16 with zero luck. Um, I'm glad to see that it is out in public eye. I don't know who bought it. I had rumors that Mecham actually had to buy it. They had guaranteed such a high number to the family that they actually uh, had to buy the car and it's probably in Dana's collection. Um, I was told if you watch the video, the sun doesn't seem that thrilled when it does sell because there was probably already a deal in place prior. But it is a super cool, super iconic car. I did pull up the letter. Let's see if I can find it here. All right, so I found the letter. This Steve could have used some salesman tips as to how to pitch a better letter than this. So this is him trying to buy it uh, back, who knows, probably in the 80s or before he passed, so in the 70s. Here it is. Again, I would like to appeal to you to get back my 1968 Mustang. I would like very much to keep it in the family in its original condition as it was used in the film rather than have it restored, which is simply personal with me. Here's the funny part. I would, hap I would be happy to try to find you another Mustang similar to the one you have if there is not much money involved in it. Otherwise, we had better forget it. That's a horrible way to close uh, your letter if you're trying to buy something from someone. Um, 
you know, sounds like he just wanted to buy a $10,000 used Mustang and swap it and call it a day. So anyways, that is it. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Thanks for sharing. And I will talk to all of you next week. Thanks for listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the Collector Car Podcast.